Hello and welcome to Chumbology, a Chumbawamba anthology podcast. On this podcast, we, your hosts, the most esteemed Chumbawamba scholars on the planet, talk about one of the most overlooked bands of all time, song by song, album by album. That band, if you somehow missed the title, the fact that we posted about it, or the fact that you found this from a stranger on the internet, um, we're talking about Chumbawamba. Hell yeah, um, we are. Yeah. Um, before we dive too deep into the episode, we just want to give a quick shout out to the fact that we have international listeners. Um, we have some from Canada, Ireland, India, Germany, the Dominican Republic, and France. Most of all, we want to give a shout out to our friends from the United Kingdom who are listening, because we make fun of the UK a lot, and I'm sorry about that. And <laughs> they haven't canceled us. Yeah, yet. we have not been canceled yet. So, um, good luck with Brexit, I guess. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> a, a couple episodes back, I don't remember which song it was, but we we both took turns doing like really, really like genuinely dreadfully bad British accents, and I was yeah. like, "Well, that's it. This podcast was fun for like the five episodes we did, but no one's gonna let us get away with that." When we so. eventually have one of our overseas friends on as a guest, I'm gonna do a really bad accent the entire time. Yeah. Well, if we have someone, if we have someone from the UK, like as a guest on the podcast, then they get to do their American accent. Oh, that's yeah. true. I like yeah. that. I love watching people do American accents. We sound fucking stupid as hell. We do. <laughs> we're we're like the stupidest sounding country. <laughs> um. So today's song is called "Dutiful Servants and Political Masters." It is track seven on Chumbawamba's debut album. Pictures of starving children sell records, starvation, charity, and rock and roll lies, and traditions. I'm trying out new inflections for saying that. I like that, the, kind of kind of mix it up. The um, album, yeah. Yeah, next next week I might do like a shock jock voice. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this is track seven, uh, Dutiful Servants and Political Masters. And Teddy, were you able to find any alternate titles this week? I, I only found the, the one title online. I did not. It looks like it is just dutiful servants and political masters. I so think good this job, might Tumble be Wumper, finally getting it, <laughs> finally <laughs> the, getting the, it straight. The only song besides Unilever, which is only one word in the <laughs> title that has just one title that we. Well, can Unilever find. does have a um, a second part of the title. I don't know if we ever mentioned it, but it was Unilever slash How to Succeed in Business. Oh, you're right. We did mention that. All right, so. <laughs> Well, all right, here we are. <laughs> there is like a, a subtitle on the album, but I don't know. It's not in the same line as the album or the title name. But underneath it, it says abolishing slavery and reinventing it. Okay. So, ooh, get a little get a little taste of uh, what this song's about. Yeah. Um, this phrase, dutiful servants and political masters, uh, if I recall correctly, popped up in the liner notes on the record sleeve for last week's album, uh, last week's song. The interlude song. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, they mentioned it when they were talking about EMI. The, the oh, exact right. line was, um, under both regimes, EMI appeared to act as the dutiful servant of its political masters without compromising its commitment to profit making. Oh, yeah, that's right. So close. Damn. Not not exactly word for word, but you can tell where they got the idea from. So thank you, John Street. Um, before <laughs> that's right, dive... John Street. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan Streetland. Um, so before we dive into the lyrics themselves, I'll read the little blurb um, that comes before the lyrics. Yes, please. And that is, 
The connections between slavery and capitalism in the growth of England is adequately documented by Eric Williams in his well-known book, Capitalism and Slavery. Williams gives a clear picture of the numerous benefits which England derived from trading and exploiting slaves. He identified by name several of the personalities and capitalist firms who were beneficiaries. Outstanding examples are provided in the persons of David and Alexander Barclay, who were engaging in slave trading in 1756 and who later used to loot to set up Barclay's bank. There was a similar progression in the case of Lloyd's, from being a small coffee shop to being one of the world's largest banking and insurance houses after dipping into profits from slave trade and slavery. That's a quote from Walter Rodney. And then underneath it, it just says, times change, bosses don't, which is fucking sick. Damn. <laughs> Maybe that's Honestly, my Chumbawamba tattoo. Every every time Chumbawamba has one of these fucking like, like smart little things, I'm like, damn, I should get another Chumbawamba tattoo. Yeah, right. <laughs> As we said in our first episode, by the end of this whole uh, experience, uh, you and I will most likely have at least one more Chumbawamba tattoo. I don't have one yet, but you know, I'm I'm probably gonna get there. If we ever get to the point where we have a Patreon, that'll be like the reward levels. If it's like if we hit like three thousand dollars a month, like I'll just get another tattoo. Like, <laughs> <laughs> is that a reward for the patrons or for you? It's a little of both. If you're giving me enough Hell money, yeah. I'll get I'll get Chumbawambas. We can have people vote on it. That's socialist. <laughs> yeah. it, it, there's no, there's no hierarchy. It benefits everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, that's really wild. That that like, like Lloyd's of London. That's a name I know. For, yeah, and like, I mean the, Barclays is the Barclays yeah. Center in Brooklyn. Those right. dumb motherfuckers. Well, are those are those things related? The Barclay. Yeah, like, Barclay Bank is the one that like the reason it says Barclays. I'm ninety nine percent sure. I'll look it up right now. So on January eighteenth, two thousand seven, it was named. It was announced that the arena would be called Barclays Center after London-based banking group Barclays, which is what they just talked about. So the Barclays Center in Brooklyn is literally funded by people who made their money off of slave labor and off of the transition from slave labor, the transition from slave labor into uh, capitalism, which is just as uh, Chumbawamba points out, just uh, another form of slavery. Jesus, that's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, as you said, uh, the, the lyrics in this song are pretty, pretty straightforward in comparing poverty to slave labor. Um, the term wage slave came to mind, and I googled the term wage slave to kind of, like, try to get at the origin of it. You know how Google has, like, the definitions at the top of, uh, search results sometimes? Yeah. On here, for this word, uh, it was... A person wholly dependent on income from employment, typically employment of an arduous or menial nature. And it's fucking wild to me to think about the fact that there are people not, quote, wholly dependent on income from employment. But that's, it's, yeah. it's, it was, it was sobering for a second to remember, oh yeah, there are people who just like. Yeah, who just like YOLO their way through lives off of their daddy's money. Yeah. Oh God. Blah. <laughs> uh. uh. No, it's funny. It's funny. Uh, last week, we uh, both of us seem a little brain dead because we both had long days yeah. being wage slaves today. Um, <laughs> and this is the latest we've ever recorded an episode. It's uh, about 9.20 p.m., whereas last week was the earliest we ever recorded an episode. And I felt like I was all, like, snippy and on my, on my shit last week. <laughs> I think one day we'll record at, like, the f- perfect time. We'll find out it's, like, 2.53 p.m., and that'll be the best episode we'll ever make. We'll spend the rest of our lives trying to recapture that magic. 
Yeah. <laughs> but for now, we are both brain dead after long days. But to dive back into it, um, the song kind of breaks up the lyrics into uh, two parts with, with a little bridge between them. The first one is uh, one of one of their singers who, by now we should know their names. I do not know their names. Um, doing the, the kind of comical, over-the-top voice talking about like uh, the transition from like slavery into capital and like talking about how his grandfather had it easier because, you know, you could just like literally buy and sell people. And then there's like a a transition bit. And then one of the female vocalists uh, takes over and kind of has like a retort talking about the system in which we live, um, like living under patriarchy and the way that like the Western world enforces like wage slavery and the patriarchy taking it in those two halves there i found the root the first half really interesting in the way that it portrays the imbalance between bosses or masters and workers or servants um you know in in the mind of these lyrics there is no difference between a worker and a servant at least the way that our like uh system is structured and there's like this 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 undercurrent like partway through the song that feels like like the owner of a company saying like offering almost a middle manager position to uh to one of the wage slaves saying like basically you can have a comfortable life if you betray your fellow workers by becoming sort of the person who watches over them on my behalf yeah Um, that there's that one line the um You'll be helping me, I say, and I'll see that you're all right. You can have a place of your own. You can even pretend to be white. Really? Right. Like, the first time I heard that, like, I was like, oh, damn. Like, all right. Like, we're fucking taking shots here. Like, so, as as in classic Chumbawamba fashion, just uh, going out guns blazing. Just. Yeah. Well, right. And it, and it, it makes that comparison between, you know, like, in American slavery, there was uh, often the I, I, I won't use the, the, the phrase I'm familiar with because I don't want to say a racial slur, but there were the, the slaves who lived in the house uh, who were kind of like, basically they got the comfort of being in the house indoors and kind of like better quarters and better living conditions at the expense of being one of the slaves who kind of kept the other slaves in line, which is really fucked up (laughs) and they make the comparison in following the slavery comparison between slavery and capitalism uh that if you want to have a slightly better life than the underlings you can become like a manager someone who who watches over the the lowest people on the totem pole and it's it plays into this idea that like you know think about a corporate situation you know um you have your ceo who's making the most money out of everybody who's benefiting the most off of the exploitation of labor and then you have the people who are at the bottom of that like the entry level people who are making the least amount of money but oftentimes doing the most work or at least the most like damaging or 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 mentally straining work and then you have the people in the middle and this song kind of plays into the idea that uh being a manager is just an illusion of freedom. The boss is still the person making the most money, benefiting most from your exploitation, and manipulating you into exploiting the people beneath you. Yeah, it's, it's that 
that like concept that everyone likes to pretend exists where like if you work hard at your job and you do really good, they'll notice you and you'll get promoted and, and you could one day be the CEO. It's like you're not gonna be the fucking CEO if you work start working there. There was like some tweet going around from some bullshit right wing, probably turning point in USA, where they were like, Most CEOs started off as fry cooks, so it's okay that we pay fry cooks like one millionth of what we pay our CEOs and it's like that's Fuck not that. fucking true at all. You become a CEO by being born rich, by going to some stupid ass fucking business school and having connections. No yeah. one no one becomes a CEO by working hard from their way up yeah like maybe like three people did in the entire fucking history of the world and they use that as an example to try and guilt people into giving more of a shit about their menial labor jobs to, yeah like it's everyone always thinks that they're like a temporarily temporarily embarrassed millionaire right that like like this is just a step until they're the the next one on the totem pole where for many of us that day will never come up like there's always going to be more people at the bottom and there always needs to be to keep this hierarchy in place Right, yeah, it, it's it's quite literally like like if you think of a pyramid. I always think of capitalism as a pyramid scheme. I, I'm I'm sure I'm not the I'm sure I'm not the only person who has ever thought that. Like, uh, you know, I probably stole it from some like anarchist Tumblr that I used to follow. You know, um, <laughs> if you have your CEO or like the richest like one percent of people at the very top, like the pyramid collapses if you have too many people up there. You know, and it's like it's it's the work. It's like a CEO's life's work to keep people from getting to where they are, you know? And the best way to do that is to offer people these, like, middling positions in in the hierarchy where they have examples of people underneath them who are making less money than them, who have less good lives than they do, who have less fewer material things than they do. And it's like, oh, well, cool, you, you know, you make, like... $80,000 a year, and that's not, you're not a rich person, but you're not working at McDonald's, and I'm like, oh, it pisses me off so much whenever I think about it, because it's, we're still all laboring to the benefit of the richest people who already have obscene wealth. Yeah. There there was that, that post going around the other day that was like, damn, it really sucks that we're going to spend the rest of our lives working to repair the damages that baby boomers did just so like 45 people could have more wealth than they would ever oh be able to spend God, in 100 yeah. lifetimes yeah yeah <laughs> and, and <ugh. laughs> yeah well it also reminds me of this idea that like you know everything in the system is like that uh you know think about wall street like uh think about every time there's some kind of economic like huge economic thing like crisis in this country it has something to do with the stock market and i feel like as an average person my life has been affected every time the stock market like plummets right my family lost their house in 2008 because of the fucking mortgage crisis but when it's doing well my life is not discernibly different you know no. i'm still working yeah. like in like an okay job making an okay amount of money you know like yeah the dow jones dow jones really doesn't affect my my day-to-day life like i never wake up and go like oh shit my stocks are up because i don't need fucking stocks because i'm a broke ass <laughs> piece of shit and i don't invest any of my money i spend it all on drugs and alcohol and rent the three things <laughs> you need to survive <laughs> not food though <laughs> no i've never bought food in my life i'm a, I'm a freegan <laughs> Um, but, okay, so then the second half of this song, um, the whole last section, about 30 seconds of the song, is kind of, like, getting at this, like, frustration that we're expressing and just kind of, like, 
fires at it, you know? And, yeah. and I just kind of want to read the whole thing. Um, Go for it. Because it's really fucking good. Um, it goes, this is when the, the, the female vocalist takes over. And she goes, a dog stares into a gramophone trumpet, waits for its call to action, mute and obedient, standing to attention. Look a little closer, the dog is a woman. She's working under a system that she can't understand, trapped inside a world of labor and heat so that she and her children will be able to eat. The trumpet is patriarchy. It's old and fixed, where poor men are lured by desire to be rich, where the limited power is still given to men, where development aid is so wastefully spent. Where Western education enforces this crap, where women work in the open yet live in a trap. There's one solution and this is it. The dog leaps on the gramophone and has a shit. (laughs) I fucking love Chumbawamba. That's such a good line. It really is. I think in a way this highlights the inherent like lopsidedness of of capitalism. You know, this last bit of the song uh, is talking about a woman trying to, you know, like laboring until she's like exhausted so that she and her children can eat food and presumably also have a house and survive. It also plays at the idea of the way that the working class betray each other for, like, the little bit of privilege that they can get. Um, With lines like, where poor men are lured by the desire to be rich, uh, where the limited power is still given to men. And it just kind of highlights the inherent, like, sexism of capitalism, uh, how it is designed to keep people impoverished. And it takes advantage of the fact that poverty affects women and people of color and LGBTQ people and disabled people way disproportionately than it does to, like, cisgender, heterosexual white men, you know? So in true Chumbawamba fashion, instead of just having, like, a quote at the end and the beginning of the song, they have one right in the middle, right where the singers uh, change over. And that quote is directly related to this. It's, uh, what could be worse than to live under the fist of this white man and pay him to oppress you? The answer is to live under the fist of the black man who is living under the fist of the white man. And such was and often still is the story of African women. And then there's a Susan B. Anthony quote, which is, women have been the great unpaid laborer of the world. So this tackles not only the idea of sexism, but also racism within like the, the society that we've built up as Dan just went into a little bit, that while it sucks to be a white man or a, a white man passing person in this country to be crushing our capital, it just gets exponentially worse if you're a person of color, if you're a woman, if you're a non-binary person, if you're anything on the... Uh, non-cis, non-straight spectrum. And uh, Chumbawamba was singing about that 30 years ago and quoting Susan B. Anthony, who said that in the 1840s. So we're here close to 200 years later, and uh, shit has not changed. Nope. I do find it a little ironic that they quote Susan B. Anthony while talking about, like, well, like, basically they're talking about intersectionality, right? Like, before intersectionality was really an idea i mean it was an idea but it wasn't like i'm not sure of the whole history of the concept of intersectionality but i'm pretty sure back in the 80s it hadn't yet developed into a fully like realized like concept yet um but anyway i I, it is kind of funny that they quote susan b anthony because of how racist she was (laughs) yeah not maybe not the best look but it's a different time it's all right they were doing their best (laughs) we'll give them we'll give them the pass from us to white people but it is, but it is kind of wild. Like thinking about, like I, I, you know, I feel like we say this in every episode, but it was 1984. Chumbawamba was a group of white people, 
uh, and they're talking about intersectionality before intersectionality is really a thing. I think that's, I don't know, that's, that's badass. Yeah. I can't think of a better word for it, you know? So to finish out this little segment, uh, I just want to read the closing quote from here, which is from Bob Geldof, the Knight of the British Empire. And it's <laughs> me. I couldn't do that. I'd never be one for role reversal. I just don't enjoy the things that Paula does, like changing nappies. I did try it once. Then I looked at it and said, no way. And so there was Paula standing over me, wagging her finger, telling me I'm the father, share the load. But I just said, forget it. The end. So... <laughs> What the fuck is that quote? <laughs> it's about about changing nappies, you know? Some good old... Changing nappies. Changing nappies. <laughs> I was going to try and do a British accent, but I, I can't. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. You don't have it in you right now. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Who said that? Um, Bob Geldof, Knight of the British Empire. I don't... Bob Geldof. I'm going to... Yeah. I... He's an Irish singer-songwriter. <laughs> and a knight, apparently. Oh, fucking chorus. He was the lead singer of the Irish rock band, the Boomtown Rats. That sounds fake. That that sounds like something you made up. This sounds like something that somebody, like, made a fake Wikipedia page for. Maybe it was Chumbawamba. Anyway. <laughs> Fuck that guy. I don't know who <laughs> yeah. he is. I'm not gonna... Fuck you, Bob I'm gonna go on off. Spotify and say, do not play the Boomtown Rats. Yeah, fuck the Boomtown Rats. I only... Yeah, fuck, fuck with the, the Boomtown the Rats. Fight rats. me. <laughs> Fight me, our one listener from Ireland. <laughs> Alright, so you wanna, you wanna talk about the, uh, the, the instrumentation of the song a little bit? Yeah, the music in this song's pretty good. This one's this was a toe tapper, you know. Yeah. It starts off with that nice swing beat. Yeah, we're, we're back to the bass lines. Sick bass lines. Yeah, back. <laughs> yeah. Back to those sick bass lines. Yeah, after they took a week off for the for the protest song, yeah, the march. <laughs> but now now they're back, and uh, yeah, this one's this one's good. It's got that nice like walking like boom 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 boom. You know, I, don't, <laughs> I like it. But yeah, like it starts off like a really like kind of the like swinginess of the song and like it. it like it, it almost reminds me of like I don't know like the kind of shit that you hear in like fifties music where it's just the the you know like yeah. that that kind of beat. Ever since I thought of it, I really can't stop hearing World Inferno whenever I hear like the the more swingy Chumbawamba songs. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a good comparison. Yeah. World Inferno is the Chumbawamba of our time in some ways. Chumbawamba deserves better than that. No offense, to World Inferno, but. <laughs> That's all right. We we no matter no matter how we aspire, we can never be Chumbawamba. But yeah, I feel like the swinginess of it kind of like really highlights the sarcasm of of the first half of the song, like the the lyrics. So yeah, I think it was a cool decision to to do that and then just completely like do a one eighty into what is probably the heaviest. Like, yeah, the end of this song is fucking album. intense. It's almost like like a, a DB. Like you could fucking throw down at this shit. Yeah, yeah. If this song had come out like twenty years, twenty years later, there would be a China symbol in it, you know. <laughs> and there would be a, there would probably be a death growl, like and a, and a. <laughs> what, what's the name of that band? Uh, Agent Orange, Code Orange Kids. Blah. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know. Like... Now we're gonna get canceled by hardcore kids. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Code Orange Kids. There we go. That's the name of the band. Um, um, they're just code orange now. They drop the kids. All right, they're a serious. They'll always now. be kids to me. They'll always be my kids. <laughs> um, and you know, something I didn't realize. Uh, 
they're screaming in this song, and that's actually not something that I... I feel like Chumbawamba doesn't scream much, which is not something I really realized. Yeah, this is is one of the heavier ones. Yeah, and... Yeah, for a punk band, their vocals are often, like, really melodic, or they do that, like, talk singing. But, yeah, I guess guess what I like about the music in this song is that it's just another thing that they have in the arsenal, you know? Where they can get really heavy and screamy and, like, kind of go off the rails a little bit. But it, it works for it. Yeah. Yeah, it works for it because it ends up being, like, you know, the lyrics in the second half of the song are so angry and... And biting the way that they play like the two parts of it it's starting off with like the kind of swingy beat with the guy just like talking of capitalism and talking about himself and all that and then immediately going into the the that that rage to match the lyrics very well done one of my favorite songs on this album yeah it's a good one it's it's a it's a slapper is that something yeah that's something yeah. the youth say <laughs> i one of my goals in this podcast is to uh is to introduce one, a new one of those into into like common common speak, <laughs> like I don't know something like a this one's a stomper. <laughs> I don't know. I'm spitballing here. <laughs> well, we'll think of it. This one's a clapper. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we want to move on to to talk about what other people think of the song in our section. Chumbawamba versus the people. Chumbawamba versus the people. <laughs> I feel like I, I I I want to like maybe make like a little sound clip for the, for this segment that's like like a Judge Judy theme like <laughs> <laughs> I was some shit like oh that. my god can we just sample in the uh, the Law and Order the dun dun <laughs> or can you just yeah, sample in me see. doing the dun dun we're already we're not using enough copyrighted material on I don't this think podcast you can copyright like two permission. notes like <laughs> yeah fuck Dick Wolf am I right yeah I've heard Dick Wolf fucking sucks actually. Yeah, that's I've heard that too. What have you heard about him? Um, just the the super inside scope is that someone who posted on the the Street Fight group, um, like walked off a job that he was doing just because the conditions were so shitty. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. That's that's like a thing. That's like a thing in in New York that like if you work in TV or film like long enough, you will eventually be on an episode of Law and Order or like on the crew of an episode of Law and Order. Yeah. <laughs> And from what I've heard, it sucks. <laughs> uh, but anyway, Chumbawamba versus The People. Uh, this is another one that had two videos on it. Unfortunately, yeah. both videos didn't have very many comments. Yeah, not a lot to dig um, through, which is surprising. I thought this was one of the one of the more popular songs on the album, but not as much dissent as they had on the last few songs. Um, I did really like, on the first... Uh, <laughs> I'm reading. I'm laughing. Just reading it again. On the first video I found, we have a we have a spry chap named Ben Lanyon who two years ago wrote, "I'm completely bowled over when daffodils start to bloom at the end of the British winter. A kind of feeling that you know spring is about to be sprung, so to speak." And then there's an emoji, but like an old school emoji of a <laughs> yeah. smiling man. Like, why Thank the you. fuck are you writing this on this song? Look, he's just letting you know he's completely bowled over. How about this? This this one's a real bowler, you know? I really get bowled over the side of Daffodils. There it is. There it is. Oh, yeah. This song's a bowler. Yeah. You know? it's What does it mean? It means when you get bowled over when the daffodils start to bloom at the end of the British winter. Come on. You don't know any yeah. songs that make you feel like that? I'm going to have to do some soul searching. It wasn't something that... It wasn't a feeling I had previously known. It'll come to you one day. You'll hear a song and be like, damn, this feels exactly like when the daffodils start to bloom at the end of British winter. 
a kind of feeling that you know spring is about to sprung, so to speak. <laughs> My favorite part of this one is that that comment has two likes. Yeah. And guess what? It has three now. <laughs> it's going to have four in a second. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I really like the other comment that you had picked up, which was from uh, YouTube user GayDix420. Uh, wrote, <laughs> well, aren't I glad I looked past Tub Thumping? Not that that isn't a great song, which, true. I feel the same way, GayDix420. Like I said, like I've been saying, I feel like YouTube is the last place on, like, the mainstream internet where you're going to find someone with a name like GayDix420. Yeah. You know what? Shout, <laughs> shout out. Yeah, GayDix420, come on the show. Uh, this person has some wild uploads. <laughs> <laughs> they have a video. Oh my god, do I want to do this? They have a video called Big Dumb Asshole, <laughs> yeah. which is... Which is a Snapchat video, you know, like, it, it has yeah. the vertical, and then the, the, like, caption with the black bar behind it. What if you, what if you watched the and video as a video of yourself? I would have been <laughs> blown away, and I just, I probably would have walked away and not even stopped recording. But what's in the video is, uh, it's a, it's a dog in a cone, like, kind of thrashing about, and it just says, look at this asshole. <laughs> And it has zero comments, zero, zero upvotes, zero downvotes, but 243 views uploaded on August 19th, 2016. Damn. And guess what? It's got an upvote now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're going to go ahead and include this in the, in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you for your service, gay dicks. Yeah, we salute you. Braver than the troops. <laughs> Yeah, so as Dan said, there really aren't too many other comments on this. I just really like that there are a bunch of people just saying, like, thanks for the masterpieces. There's another one that's thanks for F.E.R. posting. Great record. And that's how I imagine British people talk. Thanks for posting. Yeah, thanks for posting. Great record. All right, now we're canceled. Now everyone's going <laughs> to... Teddy? Going to leave us. Gay Dicks 420 has a pro skate audition tape. <laughs> oh, is he any good? I'm finding out now. Send it to Kaz. Be like, what do you think of my pal, GayDix420? <laughs> There's a title card on it that says Radical Skaters, and it's spelled S-K, the number 8, E-R-Z. Classic. Hell yeah. This has knows... two upvotes and three downvotes. Now it's an even tie. Three <laughs> yeah, and three. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. All right, Teddy. Uh, any final thoughts about uh, this week's song, Dutiful Servants and Political Masters? I think it's great. I, once again, love the way that they play with both the lyrical content, make use of multiple singers, and switch between genres, genres so flawlessly. It's uh, really impressive. And we're, we're seven songs deep on a 10-song album, 11-song album, 10-song mm-hmm. album. 10-song album. <sighs> And it, it's been nothing but uphill. Yeah. Really yeah. not nothing yeah, but uphill, I, but a pretty steady climb. It, doing this show has really made me appreciate this shit a lot more, and um, I'm excited to keep doing it. Yeah, same here. I, 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 I really dig this song. Um, you know, kind of just echoing what you said, it's, it's, it's another example of how good they were on this debut album at just jumping between styles. And, you know, we got into this... Uh, it may have been last episode or a couple episodes back about how when you're a band releasing your debut album, you don't know you're going to have more. And I feel like 
this song is just another example in that of just this this band came into the studio and they were like this might be our only chance to ever do this let's just fucking go ballistic and like do everything we know how to do and i i feel like i feel like it keeps paying off really well this song this song is a bowler and i love it (laughs) (laughs) so if you had to rate it um i'm gonna give it 400 out of 420 gay dicks Uh, I'm going to give it 7 out of 10 blooming daffodils at the end of a British winter. I kind of feeling that, you know, spring is about to be sprung, so to speak. So to speak. So yeah. to speak. <laughs> I'm going to give it 7 out of 8 skaters, spelled S-K-A-E-R-Z. 7, seven out of skaters. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for our last little segment here to close out the show, we're going to talk about the leftism of the week. And today we're going to talk about the YPG. The YPG, or the People's Protections Unit, is a mainly Kurdish group in Syria and the primary component of the Syrian Defense Forces. You might have heard about this a little bit in the news just because Donald Trump has just uh, made an utter fool of our our country once again and uh, stopped supporting. Oh, 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 really? For the first time? (laughs) Yeah, this is the first time he's ever done anything bad. I don't know what everyone's so mad about. But, um. Take that, liberals. So the YPG is a force over in Syria that, uh, as I said, mostly consists of ethnic Kurds, but have a large amount of Arabs and foreign volunteers. Um, They are pretty much just like a little militia put together that's main purpose serves to fight ISIS and try and recapture cities over in uh, that province. much like Dan's discussion of uh, Nicaragua last week, we are in no way historians. This is not supposed to be all your knowledge on this subject, so we, we definitely recommend seeking out some more information about this. But the thing that makes this something that we wanted to talk about on the show and something that we consider leftist is the way that these troops are organized. So the YPG is a democratic socialist organization in which the officers are elected by the troops and equality, regardless of gender, religion, and ethnicity, is guaranteed. The YPG operate like a guerrilla force using stealth, surprise, and hit-and-run tactics, which has been proven to be effective against more con- uh, conventional forces who invade and occupy. They operate with a large degree of autonomy so they can adapt quickly to battlefield conditions and mobilize their forces rapidly. As we said before, uh, they were considered a U.S. ally up until like a week ago when Donald Trump over Twitter announced that we would be cutting support for them and backing um, Turkey in in this fight, which pretty much has led to a bunch of deaths um, of these troops and uh, made for a really shitty situation. Because right now, these are like the ground forces against ISIS Uh, as much as. We wish that there wasn't fighting anywhere in the world. If you're going to fight anyone, it might as well fucking be ISIS. And one of the biggest things about fucking this up and cutting support is that, like, we're pretty much burning that bridge. And if we need to go fight ISIS again, right now, these were the troops that were acting as the ground force or the like the ground troops for this uh, battle. And if we ever needed to fight ISIS in this region again, it's going to involve a military deployment, which is honestly probably what the fucking plan was as a way to... Yep. Like, make make a trouble for nothing, uh, a way to possibly one day enlist a draft, and a way to throw our country back into more occupation overseas, uh, which is really shitty. Um, yep. the, the YPG is doing really good work. There's a bunch of people who have traveled from the U.S. to fight alongside them. 
um, mostly a large amount of anarchists and leftists. With that, I want to recommend that if you're interested in this subject and want to know a little bit more, um, the most recent episode of the podcast, True and On, which we will put a link to in the show notes, goes very in-depth about this. And True and On is hosted by Brace Belden, who, if you're a leftist Twitter nerd like some of us are, uh, you may know that he was a American volunteer who went and fought with the YPG for about two years. So they talk about it on the episode, and he goes pretty in-depth into the situation over there, the different factions, what they're fighting for, and uh, his, his time over there. So... Definitely recommend checking that out, and uh, nothing but support for the YPG. Keep on trying to make the the country that you're in and the the world a little bit safer. Oof, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I cannot fucking get over the fact that this all happened on Twitter. Yeah, because we live in a hell world. Like yep. I I hate being one of those people that's like, oh, Donald Trump's the worst president ever. Because like when you look at his record compared to like even like George Bush, George Bush did a lot of like really fucked up things and really fucked our country in multiple ways and probably a lot worse than trump ever did and not to sound like a liberal but like it really makes you kind of miss the time where this would be something that like at least would go through like the proper channels of authority to be discussed and found out instead of like a dude who's dying of syphilis tweeting it out at like three in the morning (laughs) oh god (laughs) so yeah Hell world, That's baby. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, from what I've heard, I, I actually, uh, from what I've heard, Donald Trump is, uh, you know, not to sound like a liberal, but he's just as gross in person as, as you might imagine. And the reason I know that is because my ex, uh, filmed his ice bucket challenge. So there's, there's a little piece of trivia for you. That was a sentence that I would have been much happier never hearing. Yeah, yeah, let me say it again so you can hear it loud and clear. My ex filmed Donald Trump, President of the United States, uh, Ice Bucket Challenge back in fucking 2014. You remember the fucking Ice Bucket Challenge, Teddy? We're bringing it back. We're bringing it back. We're bringing back the Ice Bucket Challenge. Ice Buckets for Syria. That's that's my campaign. God damn it. We live in a fucking hell world. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Chumbology, a Chumbawamba anthology podcast. The music you heard in this episode was the song Dutiful Servants and Political Masters by Chumbawamba from their album Pictures of Starving Children Sell Records. And you know what? We keep saying we hope this qualifies as fair use, and I'm just going to go ahead and assume the fact that we have been able to successfully upload so many episodes so far means we're good to go. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, which I just found out is no longer called iTunes. Uh, So if you are so inclined, please give us a follow and a rating on those platforms. You can find us on Twitter at Chumbology Rocks or at our website, Chumbology.rocks. C-H-U-M-B-O-L-O-G-Y dot R-O-C-K-S.